0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. The NFL Draft is in the rearview mirror. Hopefully, you checked out each night's episode here at Saturday to Sunday, Night one, I was joined by Jeff Abercrombie. We broke down every pick in round one. And then after day two and day three, I recorded solo pods going through every single pick in the NFL draft, sharing my thoughts. So you guys know exactly what I thought about every single pick. So if you weren't following me on Twitter or so much great information was out there on Twitter, watching the TV coverage, you may have missed my thoughts on Twitter. I put it all out into podcast form as well, sharing my thoughts on just about every pick, but those were long days, long nights. I'm refreshed. I've given it some time. My initial dynasty rookie rankings, I put it out on Twitter yesterday. I already slightly have made a tweak here or there. I will continue to adjust, right? Once we kind of learn a little bit more how these guys are going to fit in to the fabric of their offenses and scheme fits and maybe immediate opportunity. It really will impact these rankings a little bit throughout the next couple months before we even get the training camp and preseason. One thing I will say, and I'm actually surprised that this is where we're at. I actually think it ends up being, this is a very weak, weak rookie draft. And I didn't expect that to happen. And I think part of it is just some landing spots. Part of it is guys falling further than maybe we expected. Part of it is the running backs. We thought maybe some other running backs were going to get pushed up to, say, round four. And we thought another one was maybe going to go in round three. So we thought, like, okay, if we have a bunch of these round three, round four running backs, those guys usually get an opportunity. We didn't get much of that, right? We got a couple. I think there. I think more people thought maybe guys like Khalil Herbert and Larry Roundtree and stuff like that. I think there. I think there was a lot of thought that there was going to be more guys in decent situations, and I just don't think that we really got that. So I think that's something that you know is interesting to, to kind of see how it plays out. But I, I do think there is some surprises in the fact that I thought this was going to be a very deep class. And now, honestly, I think there's about 10, 11 guys that 10 to 12 guys that I'm excited to maybe draft even one or two of them. I don't think are traditionally round one picks. And then by 15 or 16, I think it falls off dramatically. And even in that early part of the second round, I think some of those picks are very suspect. So I think it's a very unique and interesting rookie draft I think once you get to like the mid to late second round, early third round, I'd be okay trading those picks off, trying to buy low on guys maybe from last year, uh, because I do think that there is a lot of question marks about a lot of these landing spots. So I think that's really going to come into play when we're talking about how high we should take some of these guys and, you know, trade value and stuff like that. I really do think that a lot of the this draft especially the wide receivers and the running backs some of the wide receivers fell some of them just ended up in not ideal landing spots and then the running backs just really got pushed down the board and i think that's the big one the fact that the running backs got pushed down the board so much i really do think impacted you know what we thought about this uh, rookie class as a whole so let's get started i'm going to go position by position sharing my initial thoughts and then I'll give you a little bit of an overall big board, but the overall big board really is so much impacted by whether or not it's one quarterback, super flex, tight end, premium. So my big board on in the premium notebooks is one quarterback based, you know, and I'll kind of share my thoughts on if it was super flex, what what would happen? Not a lot of changes, you know, and if it was tight end premium, absolutely no change, and you'll find out why in a little bit. So at the quarterbacks, I have them ranked right now: number one, Trevor Lawrence number two, Trey Lance, number three, Justin Fields, number four, Zach Wilson, number five, Mac Jones, number six, Kellen Mond, number seven, Kyle Trask, number eight, Davis Mills, number nine, Ian Book, and number 10, Sam Ellinger. These rankings do not have any UDFAs. Right now, I do not put UDFAs in my rookie ranks. I think it's very foolish to start having any UDFAs ahead of anybody that was drafted. And the reason for that is, is some of these UDFAs, they're not even guaranteed contracts yet. We haven't even had rookie mini camps with everything that's going on with COVID and, and it, players not even practicing right now. And, you know, a lot of them staying away from the voluntary mini camps and stuff like that. It's going to be a real long shot for UDFAs to make rosters and then be fantasy viable. So if there's a few that I'm high on. At some point I'll intertwine them in the rankings, but right now you're not going to see like, I love Jamie Newman pre-draft. And I think he ended up in an intriguing landing spot with Philadelphia, but right now he's not in my ranks. You know, if he was, he'd be towards the back end anyway, or kind of like where Sam Ellinger and Ian Book are. But I mean, Ian Book, you could at least make the narrative and make the case that, Hey, you never know. Maybe, you know, John Payton falls in love with him, you know, and what the Saints have there fall apart and Book actually gets a chance. I don't think that's going to happen, but they at least invested a draft pick in him, a pretty relative high draft pick in a fourth round there for Ian Book. So I think it's, you got to be very careful about ranking UDFA guys higher than people that were drafted. And sure, you want to tell me you like a UDFA more than a round seven guy or late round six? Sure. But you shouldn't be putting any UDFA prospect ahead of anybody that has round four or round five draft capital. And I don't even know if you would be should be putting him over a guy that has round six draft capital. So I think the top three, you really can make a strong argument for Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields and have them in any order you prefer. I think Trevor Lawrence's athleticism and Russian ability is underappreciated. I think he's going to do plenty of that in year one especially in the Urban Meyer scheme. Since he's the most talented, and I do think he's going to run, maybe he's not going to run as much as Trey Lance or Justin Fields, but if those guys you, know, you think could run for 600 to 800 or 850 yards, I think Trevor Lawrence could easily run for 450. So if he can run for 400 to 500 yards, and I think he could score six touchdowns rushing or five touchdowns, he's going to add a lot with his legs as well. So maybe he doesn't have a Lamar Jackson running season in, in, in the cards, but I think he can run for four to six touchdowns. I think he run for 400 to 500 rushing yards. So I think there is room for him to add a lot with that. So I have him one right now. If, he, if someone wants to make a strong argument for Justin Fields or Trey Lance, I can easily get behind it. I have them back to back to back in my overall big board. I probably won't change that. And I'll talk about where they would be. Uh, in the overall big board towards the end. To me, dare to clear top three, then there's a big teardrop to Zach Wilson, who I like, but I don't think he's gonna add a lot at the NFL level w- in terms of rushing capability. Like I don't I just I don't even see a 300 yard rushing season from him. Like I see a guy who's gonna use his athleticism and mobility to move around the pocket to buy time and maybe he picks and chooses his spots to run. But if people are thinking they're gonna, the Jets are gonna run a lot of read option or anything like that, I, I just don't think that's in the cards. Like Zach Wilson may be similarly athletic to a guy like Daniel Jones, but he's not gonna run like Daniel Jones does. Daniel Jones is way bigger of a quarterback in terms of t- taking the physical beating that that it that comes with being a runner at the next level in terms of a quarterback who's running. Zach Wilson is much more smaller stature and frame. I just don't think he's going to do much. So I think Zach Wilson is mostly going to have to be a really prolific passing quarterback to be a, you know, to be a mid to high end QB one. You know, I think it's going to take a lot for him just to be a QB one at some point in, in terms of fantasy football, he'd have to be a prolific passer. We'll see if he can get there to me. That is a big tier drop down to Mac Jones. My thoughts on Mac Jones have been consistent. I think he has the capability to be a functional, a good starting quarterback to me. Andy Dalton, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins. They've had moments where they were fantasy viable, but they've never been a guy that I ever felt comfortable being my starter in one quarterback leagues. Obviously, if it's two quarterback, everybody's got value, so Mac Jones would have more value. Of the guys who were not drafted to be the clear franchise starting quarterbacks, I'm most intrigued with Kellen Mann because of the athleticism and that running component that he has. I also think while Tom Brady is older than Kirk Cousins, I think Tom Brady's going to play a couple more years. And even if Kyle Trask takes over, I'm not sure I see a high-end fantasy quarterback. I think Mond might get an opportunity to push Kirk Cousins if he looks good within a year or so. And you add that running component. So Mond would be the guy that intrigues me more out of that group of Trask and Davis Mills. I have very little interest in Davis Mills. If at any point he's the quarterback for Houston, it's going to be a complete disaster. I'm not a fan of his game. To me, he fits the old guard of tall, pocket-passing quarterback. I just don't see it. I, I I don't see it in terms of the way the NFL's played. Houston's offensive line is terrible besides Laramie Tunsil. Their skill players are terrible besides Brandon Cooks. Th- that is not a team that I want to in any way get behind. So To me, it's the big three, teardrop, Zach Wilson, teardrop, Mac Jones, Calamon is my wild card that I take a stab of. Stab on and put him on a taxi squad. If we take this to the running backs, at number one is Najee Harris, at number two is Travis Etienne, at number three is Javante Williams, at number four is Trey Sermon, at number five is Michael Carter, number six is Kenneth Gainwell, number seven is Chuba Hubbard, number eight is Ramondre Stevenson, number nine is Larry Roundtree, number ten is Eli Mitchell, number eleven is Khalil Herbert, number twelve is Chris Evans. Number 13 is Gary Brightwell. Number 14 is Kene Nangu, N- 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 who went to Minnesota, who's a return specialist. And then 15, rounded it out, was Jake Funk, who went to the Rams. Van Hawkins, who went to Atlanta as a UDFA, he would intrigue me by more than some of those late round guys. But right now, I don't have the UDFAs in there, but some of these guys at the back end, Brightwell, Ken A from Minnesota. I think those are either are strictly special team players. Maybe Brightwell is like their third guy, but I think they drafted him due to a special teams kick return ability in terms of covering kickoffs. Maybe he's a short yardage role here or there. I don't really ever see him even being a backup for the giants with, with Dalvin cook and Alexander Madison, you know, Ken a was drafted just to be a special teams demon, got big time speed. And Jake Funk, I just I just don't see him getting a real opportunity there ever with the Rams. So to me, there's 12 guys in the deepest of dynasty drafts that could be drafted right now that were actually drafted in the NFL draft. To me, Harris and Etienne are, are at the top. They're in their own small tier. If someone wanted to have Etienne ahead of Najee Harris, I don't hate it. I personally wouldn't do it. I think Najee Harris is going to get an opportunity to be carry a bigger workload. You know, I know I am not a James Robinson there. I've been telling you to sell, 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 but he's still there, right? And Urban Meyer talked about Travis Etienne playing like a slash role, so I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of eighteen carry games by Travis Etienne. I think we could see twenty to twenty four carry games from Najee Harris. So right now i would prefer Najee Harris but if you tell me Pittsburgh's on an offense declining and Jacksonville is one on the upswing therefore you want to have Travis Etienne ahead of Najee Harris totally get it to me they are a coin flip right now in terms of their landing spots Etienne ended up in the better landing spot whether we want to believe it or not maybe not short term because Pittsburgh still has this reputation of being a good football team but i think a year or two from now Jacksonville could have a very explosive offense and Pittsburgh could be a really bad football team. So if you want to have them flip flop, they get it to me. Javante Williams is in his own tier then because Javante Williams goes to Denver. They, they traded up, invested a high second round pick in him. He's going to get this year. He'll probably share the workload with Melvin Gordon, but I think as the year goes on, he will slowly start taking over a heavier workload. And then once Melvin Gordon leaves after the year, it's going to be his backfield. I think he's going to be a guy that probably carries 60 to 65% of the workload. So he is his own tier. Then for me, I have Trey Sermon and Michael Carter. Now those guys, late round three, early round four in terms of where the draft capital is. I love the Sermon landing spot. I truly do. But I do think he's going to get drafted a little, he's going to get a little overdrafted. And the reason why I think he's going to get a little overdrafted is people are excited about that landing spot, right? Kyle Shanahan offense, we've seen so many people be so good. Think about the runners that have Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert and whoever they seem to put in has a really good week. And I get being excited. And a lot of people love Trey Sermon. Matt Waldman loved him. Number one running back. I really was a fan of his game since he was at Oklahoma and then he went to Ohio State. But he is a late round three. So we got to be a little cautious with that. And San Francisco likes to use multiple backs. They took an interesting back later in the draft in Eli Mitchell. Raheem Mostert is still there, right? He's been very productive when he's been healthy. So don't overvalue Trey Sermon. like People overvalued Keyshawn Vaughn last year. I like Trey Sermon way more than I liked Keyshawn Vaughn last year in terms of talent, in terms of landing spot, in terms of upside. I had no interest in Keyshawn Vaughn. I thought it was laughable that he was a late round one to mid round two pick in many drafts right after the draft. Trey Sermon, I think, belongs in that early second round mix. To me, that's where he should be going. But don't overvalue it. Don't draft Trey Sermon over guys like who who I thought were taken in round one in terms of the receivers. And I think Trey Sermon's going to go ahead of guys like Kaderis, Tony, and Elijah Moore, and Rashad Bateman. And I think it would be a mistake. Round one receivers are going to get a lot of leeway to become big-time players in this. A late round three running back on a team that just mixes in running backs and basically anybody can be successful there. I'm not ready to to go all in over around one wide receiver. And then Michael Carter, I love the landing spot. Obviously, with the Jets, top of the fourth round, he's going to get every opportunity to work his way into being the starter there. So that's exciting. But don't lose focus and sight that he's a fourth round pick. This year, the Jets needed a quarterback. This year, the Jets needed a wide receiver early. This year, they still needed an offensive lineman early. Maybe next year they don't need another wide receiver. Maybe Denzel Mims takes a step forward. Elijah Moore is really good and they have those two guys as the focal points of their passing game. Maybe they look to add something else. Maybe their old line finally is situated. And don't forget you have free agency next year and the Jets are slated. I think to have a lot of money to spend. They could invest in another running back next year on day two, maybe even round one, like, you know, depending on where they're picking. It's going to be some big time running backs next year in the draft again. So just be careful with Michael Carter. To me, again, that 13 to 17 range overall is where he should kind of be going, I think. Don't overdraft him because he's a fourth round running back. You got to be careful. After that, it's off a cliff. There's no one else that I really want to draft. Marginal interest. In Kenneth Gainwell because he went to the Eagles. Maybe he can work out a role where he's a part-time player behind Miles Sanders and he can be a little bit of an offensive weapon and have some role, have some value in PPR leagues. Ramondre Stevenson, maybe he waits his turn behind Sonny Michel and Damian Harris, and he eventually gets an opportunity to be a early-down runner in that New England offense. Larry Rountree, maybe he can beat out, you know, the guys they had from last year. You know, to be the second there in Austin Eckler, I'm not sure about that. You know, they drafted Joshua Kelly. You know, Dave Jackson at Northwestern a couple of years ago. You know, like these guys, it's going to be hard for Roundtree to even beat out those guys, and he has very little draft capital. So we're talking about, you know, Ramondre Stevenson and Riley Roundtree are eight and nine for me. They skipped over Trevor Hubbard. They're not unless they're moving on from Christian McCaffrey. Trevor Harbour is going to be a bit player. He's going to be a role player. He's going to maybe take a few carries here and and a few touches off of Christian McCaffrey's plate for any times in the near future. So not a lot there. I, I mean, it's really after Michael Carter. It's like okay, if you want to drive Kent Gainwell in round three and and hope that he gets he becomes a serviceable you know RB three in PPR leagues, okay. You want to tell me you want to draft Ramondre Stevenson or Trevor Harvard in round four and, and wait it out? Sure. You want to take a chance on Larry Roundtree or Eli Mitchell or Khalil Herbert in like late in your draft and stash him? Okay. But it's really five guys. And only the top three, I think you're guaranteed to have a long term kind of a long term outlook that these guys are going to get an opportunity to become the guy. I think Trey Sermon will. I think Michael Carter has a chance, but just like people overvalued Devin Singletary a couple years, I said, they're going to address someone else. They did Zach Moss and they had the factor of the running quarterback to take away touches. And every time you see a veteran running back on the market, the bills are always involved. And then don't overvalue Trey Sermon like people did with Keyshawn Vaughn as a third-round pick that can be upgraded later on. Got to be careful with that. Okay, so that's kind of how the running backs that situate. If we go to the wide receivers, I have Jamar Chase, one. I have Jalen Waddle two. I have Devonta Smith, three. I flip-flopped the next two based from what I put out on Twitter yesterday. I have Kadarius, Tony, four. I have Elijah Moore, five. I have Rashad Bateman, six. I have Terrace Marshall seventh, Amari Rogers eight, Josh Palmer ninth, Rondell Moore tenth, Dwayne Eskridge eleven, Diami Brown twelve, Amonra Saint Brown thirteen, Nico Collins fourteen, Des Fitzpatrick fifteen, Tutu Atwell sixteen, Tylan Wallace seventeen, Anthony Schwartz eighteen, Cornell Powell nineteen, Jacob Harris, twenty. I'm gonna stop there. After those guys, I have the Jalen Darden's of the world, the Amir Smith, Marsetz, the Frank Darby, Semi Fioku, Marquez Stevenson, Shai Smith, Seth Williams, Daz Newsom, Racy McMath, Trey Nixon, Kawan Baker, Jalen Camp, Mike Strachan, Dax Milne. That rounds out twenty-one to thirty-four. But let's be honest, not that many are going in your rookie draft unless you have a super deep draft and then those guys are all just stashes. But let's talk about the top. Hands down, if you're in a rookie draft and someone doesn't value Jamar Chase as the clear top wide receiver, they're doing it wrong. And it's not because I don't love Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith. I do. But Jamar Chase just got paired with a young quarterback that's probably going to be a stud in Joe Burrow. He's got instant chemistry with him. He's got other playmakers that are going to, Make it that teams just can't focus on Jamar Chase. T. Higgins is going to be a really good wide receiver. Tyler Boyd is a very good to great slot wide receiver. Joe Mixon is a weapon at a backfield. So don't overthink Jamar Chase of the top three guys. He's in the best situation. He's playing with the most talented quarterback. He's playing in the best offense in terms of group of skill players and he probably has the most talent of any of the three. If you talk about the ability to win in a variety of ways, the size, the frame, no durability, no injury questions. He's the safest of the three for sure with the highest ceiling and the best landing spot. Don't overthink it. I have Waddle ahead of Devonta Smith. No real reason there except upside. I've said all along that I think Jalen Waddle could be Could have a ceiling of what Tyree Kill is right now. That's special. Big playability. Two is a better pure passer than Jalen Hurts. I don't know if either of them are long-term, the guys in Miami or Philadelphia. We'll find out this year, I think. So I'll put Waddle ahead of Smith. If somebody wants to have Devonta Smith ahead of Waddle, I'm okay with that. They're back-to-back in my overall big board. Similar to how I said I have Najee Harris and Etienne back-to-back, I don't foresee myself breaking up the Waddle-Smith pairing because I think they're that close. I think they're in similar situations. Question marks about the quarterback developing, teams that are trying to you know get better collectively. I think they're very similar. The Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore. And I'll put Rashad Bateman in the mix because I think you're going to see Rashad Bateman probably for some people being the fourth wide receiver. I think that's going to be a mistake. I think people are letting their pre-draft bias and their pre-draft thoughts cloud their judgment a little bit here. Bateman's more talented than any of the receivers that have landed in Baltimore. He's more talented as a complete player than Marquise Brown. He's more talented than Miles Boykin. He's more talented than Devin Duvernay. So he's more talented than all those guys. But you got to understand the offense. I'm not sure that any wide receiver is truly going to be a consistent fantasy force in Baltimore. I think Mark Andrews is always going to be the most consistent player, and that's not even that consistent. But right now, you have Mark Andrews, you have Marquise Brown. They can't even be consistent. So, where to believe another guy is going to come in? and take over the lead role and be consistent, I'm not sure I see it. So I don't blame Baltimore. They need playmakers. Rashad Bateman could easily become their number one. But even if he's their number one, what's the ceiling in fantasy? Lamar Jackson has a lot of room for growth and development. And maybe as he gets older, he has to become more of a passer. I'm not sure. So that's why Bateman is 6 for me. Kadarius, Tony, and Elijah Moore at 4-5. I think they're tough. I flip-flopped. I went back and watched both of them over the last 24 hours. And I got to be honest with you. The lack of appreciation that is out there for Kadarius, Tony, is baffling. And I think it's twofold. One is, the analytics people hate them Because breakout age, market share, all that stuff that I always say I find very interesting, but completely irrelevant when it comes to transitioning to the NFL game. I don't think the NFL cares about it. And I don't care about it. There are so many factors. There are so many layers. You want to tell me you have two guys dead even, and then you want to pick the one that had better college stats or who had a better year, who had a a better season at an earlier age? Sure. You want to to tell me those should be used as tiebreakers? I'm all for it. But the context needs to be talked about more. And when you just look at numbers, the context isn't. This was a quarterback. This was a wildcat dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. This was a guy that for his first three years in Florida, he battled some injuries and he wasn't a full-time wide receiver. So how are we going to anticipate him breaking out or having a big market share when they didn't let him be that? And the counterpoint might be, well, if he was so good, why didn't he? He never played the position ever. So let's not act like, oh, if he was so much better, he would have immediately. The guy never ran routes his whole high school life. So unless like he was playing peewee football once upon a time and he was a receiver, he he knew nothing about route running. He knew nothing about playing the receiving position until he got to Gainesville. So I don't want to hear that, oh, he should have broke out earlier. or His market share was low or he should have beaten out the guys that were there already. They used him strictly as a gadget player his first couple of years because he was crafting his skill and learning how to be a receiver. And that's why he's the, he's the most raw of the group because he's not finished in terms of his development. He's got a lot of development. My co-host, Matt Caraccio, put out a great video on YouTube. I, go, I recommend going to check it out. Unraveling Kadarius Tony's skill talking about some of the things that he has to work on, that sometimes in his routes, when he hits contact, it throws him off his route. He also showed a great point about sometimes the transition for him on certain routes from catching the ball to turning it into a runner, he loses his balance. Those are things he's still developing at. But we got to understand how new he is to the position. How unrefined he is. But he's got rare burst, Rare stop-start acceleration. Rare change of direction ability. He's got very good to great long speed. Maybe it's not elite, but it's 4.39. It's somewhere in that 4.35 to 4.42 range. It's not Jalen Waddell, but it's faster than most of the other receivers in this class. His play speed is even faster than that. His contact balance is special for a guy his size when he has the ball in his hands. That's where he's at his most comfortable. I think people are overvaluing that. So one, it's the analytics people because of market share and breakout age and stuff like that without putting in the context of what he was coming out of high school. Second, it's the Giants. People don't like the Giants. There's a lot of bias against the New York football Giants. I consider myself very realistic when it comes to the Giants. I'll call them out. I'll trash on the draft pick if I don't like it. I'll scratch my head. I'll go on a Twitter rant saying that Gettleman should be fired when I feel like he's made a terrible decision. I'm not looking through every Giants move and, and, and imagining every move is right. I don't do that. I'm not that kind of fan. But there's a lot of people out there that just hate the Giants and hate Dave Gettleman. When there are people out there saying that this pick was a reach, it's not a reach. When almost every single body who does draft predictions and and so-called draft experts who do have inside sources had them in the top five, top six wide receivers. You can't find many rankings from the big media people who, after the clear top three wide receivers, didn't have Kadarius Tony in the four, five, six spot? Whether it's Daniel Jeremiah, whether it's Bucky Brooks, whether it's Dame Brugler, whether it's Lance Zerline or whoever, they all had him in that mix, and they all, and for most of the mock draft season, everybody had him going mocked in the first round. By the end, by the last mock, they, yeah, there were some people like Daniel Jeremiah, who didn't have him in his last mock in round one. But in his first two mocks, he did. Peter Schrager of NFL Network, at one point, he said there was a possibility he can go ahead of Devonta Smith. So there's a lot of people that like this guy. And if he ended up, and people who think he's the reach, Jacksonville was taking him. Urban Meyer came right out and said he was his pick. If he went to Urban Meyer in that offense, I feel like everybody would be loving Kadarius Tony right now. A lot of talk that the Saints were going to get him at twenty-eight if he was still on the board. So this thought that it was a reach is only because it was the Giants, and it was only because Draft Twitter and Devi Twitter they don't like him because of things because of the analytics nature of it. But if you watch the player play, yes, there's refinement needed. Yes, there's development needed. But there are special things about this player that I don't he's part Debo Samuel. He's part Alvin Kamara. He's part P- Percy Harvin. And I, I came on here, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna flip it in reverse. That I said I didn't like that there were some people out there using the Tyree Kill comparison for Kadarius Tony. And I said, no, that's Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell can be the finished product that Tyree Kill is right now. But I think people misunderstand what Tyree Kill was like his first two years in the NFL. His first two years in the NFL, his usage was very similar to what Kadarius Tony was used like at Florida. Tyree Kill has developed and refined his game to be who he is now. And I think Jalen Waddell can get that. But even early in his career... Kadarius Tony was fantastic. I mean, Tyreek Hill was fantastic for Kansas City making plays. Don't overvalue Jason Garrett because I've heard that way too much in the last 24 hours. I worry about Jason Garrett. Stop worrying about Jason Garrett. It's Joe Judge's team. If Jason Garrett doesn't get the job done in the first six to eight games of this year, mark my words, he's going to be fired. They brought the passing game coordinator from LSU in. They have other people on staff. Joe Judge is not going to let Jason Garrett ruin his team. My guess is, it's already been conversations that they need to open it up. Utilize their offensive players like, like on defense. The defensive coordinator is using their pieces to maximize their strengths. I think the Giants are going to have a plan for Kadarius Toney. I think that plan is going to be he's going to see 8 to 11 touches a game in a variety of ways. I don't know how fast that happens, but I think he's got big play capabilities. He's got all the traits to become a great route runner. His footwork, his movement skills are special. He's got to finish developing route concepts, reading coverages, but his footwork, you see some of him getting in that out of breaks, it's filthy. You see the ability for him to bounce off guys. He doesn't go down. I think his ceiling is higher than Elijah Moore. So that's why I flipped him. Okay. Rashad Bateman already talked about next group. Terrence Marshall, Amari Rogers, Josh Palmer, Josh Palmer, love the Palmer landing spot. He was a third round pick though. So he's a little bit further down. Mike Williams is the wild card there. If Mike Williams stays for a second contract, I think it hurts Josh Palmer in the long run. If Mike Williams moves on and Josh Palmer could develop into the number two there, I think the sky, the limit is really high for Josh Palmer there. Amari Rodgers. I like the, I like the fit, but if Aaron Rodgers is gone, there's no way around it. He, his value hurts, takes a big dip down. Amari Rodgers would fit great with Aaron Rodgers. Not sure Amari Rodgers game fits as well with Jordan Love, especially a developing Jordan Love. So Amari Rodgers, that one's going to move, could move up a a spot or two. If, if Aaron Rodgers is there. They can move down a handful of spots if he's not there. Terrence Marshall, love the player. He might be too low on this list. If there's one guy that at some point I'll move up into that Tony, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman mix, maybe over Bateman, it would be Terrence Marshall. To me, he's on that spectrum of Kenny Galladay to Allen Robinson. The problem is they have DJ Moore probably locked in there for a while. They have Robbie Anderson. There's room there for a third guy for sure. But who's the quarterback going to be? They got to figure that out. Is it going to be Sam Darnold or are they going to be back in the mix next year? But I like Terrace Marshall. I think six or seven. I'm, I'm, I'm torn on four or five between Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore. I'm a little torn on six, seven between Bateman and Terrace Marshall. I really do think you can flip-flop those guys and I'd be okay with it. After that, Rondell Moore, loved the player. But they have DeAndre Hopkins. They have Christian Kirk. I'm not sure Cliff Kingsbury's there for the long haul. New coach comes in. Are they going to go four wide all the time? I don't know if Rondell Moore could ever be a guy in two wide who plays much. I think he's more ideally the slot guy in a three-wide and a creative offensive mind. But he's got a lot of talent. He probably moves up a little bit if Amari Rodgers moves down. And you can make the case that I think he could maybe even be higher than Josh Palmer, and I might change that. I might change that even now, to be honest with you, as I'm talking on air here. So, you know, you can make the case that I probably have Ronda Moore at nine. And if and if Aaron Rodgers is gone, I think he leapsfrog Amari Rodgers, so maybe even up to eight might be the place where Rondell Moore should be right now. We'll see how they use him. Explosive player. They got to have a plan for him. They didn't have a plan to, to utilize Andy Isabella. Now, maybe that was on Isabella. Maybe it was on the coaching staff. Dwayne Eskridge, Seattle. He's a vertical slot wide receiver. Kind of Tyler Lockett's gig. Lockett could play on the outside. My guess is they drafted Eskridge to be their third wide receiver in time. Did they let Russ Wilson cook enough to support three wide receivers? I'm not sure. DK Metcalf's there for the long haul. Tyler Lockett just signed the big-time contract extension. So I like Dwayne just talent a lot. Just don't know if they could support three wide receivers there. De'Ami Brown has a, a legitimate chance to emerge as the second guy there down the line. But right now, it's Terry McLaurin. is a clear one. Can De'Ami Brown get above Curtis Samuel in terms of opportunity down the line? I'm not sure he can. I really like Curtis Samuel. And then what's their quarterback situation going to look like? Amon Ross Brown. Love the fit in Detroit. They don't have any receivers. This might be their most talented one, but he's a fourth-round pick. I'm seeing Amon Ross St. Brown really high in rookie rankings. Be careful. Be careful. Fourth-round receiver. Don't overvalue the landing spot just because the depth chart right now looks bad. You get into a lot of dangerous... Situations if you overvalue the depth chart, so be careful with that. Nico Collins fourteen, he's fourteen in Houston. It's a wide open depth chart there, but again, I've never been a big Nico Collins fan. I feel like he's gonna have a lot of time separating the NFL level. He needs a quarterback who's gonna push the ball vertically down the field and give him a chance to win at the catch point. I feel a lot better about Nico Collins if he had Deshaun Watson there, but I don't think Deshaun Watson ever snap, takes another snap for Texans. So I, I'd be very leery. I love the fact that Des Fitzpatrick got drafted as high as he did. I know Greg Cassell was a huge fan, similar to how Matt and I are here. I thought he might go undrafted. Now he's got a real shot, a real shot. And he's in a wide open depth chart in Tennessee after A.J. Brown. Des Fitzpatrick might be too low on this list, to be honest with you. Because he's got decent draft capital as round four. Not great. I'm not going to sit here and say, great, I just said Amara St. Brown is a concern. But he's got decent draft capital and a wide open landing spot. We'll see. Him and Amara St. Brown are the fourth round guys that really have an opening. out. Well, I know he went a lot higher and usually draft capital leads me. I just don't see it though. I, I mean, I, I understand the tactical value he's going to bring, but I just struggle. I struggle to understand the fit here. Because Cooper Cup's had his best in the slot, hands down. They drafted Van Jefferson last year. It sounded like they were really high on him. So what is Tutu Atwell? The fourth wide receiver? And and when he's on the field, that means Cooper Cup's going to the outside and he's not as good out there. So I like Tutu Atwell's skill set. I thought he should have been a third round pick, like because of the value he can bring in terms of the speed and the the explosiveness. But it's a situation where it's a little confusing. And Sean McAvee, I'm sure, will come up with ways to utilize him. But they have three wide receivers that are better than him who are all young. I mean, Robert Woods is not that young, but he's staying. He right signed the long-term deal to stay there again. So he's down a little bit. Tylen Wallace is being way overdrafted. People got to stop. Everything I said about Rashad Bateman can be said about Tylen Wallace. In a best case scenario, best case scenario, Tylen Wallace becomes the third wide receiver on the depth chart for the Baltimore Ravens. He gets ahead of Miles Boykin, he gets ahead of Devin Duvernay, and in a year from now, they move on from Sammy Watkins. That's the best case scenario that it goes Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman in some order, and then Tylan Wallace. And then you have Mark Andrews. I don't see a scenario where it's possible he gets ahead of fourth on the depth chart and it's possible he's even further down in terms of opportunities in the pass game. People are overvaluing him from their pre-draft takes. People love them. Some people had him as a top five wide receiver, some people had him top 8. Great value pick for Baltimore. I like the player personally. I want nothing to do with him in fantasy football. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm seeing him go in the second round of rookie drafts. I'm seeing him see ranked I'm seeing him ranked higher in some situations than Kadarius Tony. Come on, guys. Be better than that. Higher than Kadarius Tony? who went 20th in the draft, who's got elite athleticism. Don't be stubborn to your pre-draft takes. Don't be stubborn to your pre-draft bias for years of, of Devi. Don't be biased to analytics of college production. Let the NFL, what they tell you with their draft picks, guide you a, a little bit especially when you're talking about a guy who went 20th and a guy who went in the fourth round. Come on, guys. The odds of Tylen Wallace ever being fantasy viable as the fourth option in Baltimore are close to zero. Close to zero. And you can't sit here and say, oh, he's going to... Okay, I mean, if he somehow beats out and he's better than Rashad Bateman and Marquise Brown, okay. But you know the percentage of that happening... Guys that they took, two guys they took in the first round, and him is a fourth round pick. Same regime. The odds of that happening are very, very low. Not odds you want to be betting on. Anthony Schwartz, he's a flyer, you know, very unrefined. He's worth a stab late. I'm really intrigued by Cornell Powell to Kansas City. I gotta be honest with you. Cornell Powell to Kansas City, they have a little bit of a wide open depth chart here after, you know, Tyree Kill, we'll see about Nicole Hardman. I'm still leaving the light on for him. I still believe in him, but there's an opportunity. I think for Cornell Powell, he's a really good route runner. A lot of people know he was going round three, round four. So he's down here at 19 for me. I mean, you're telling me in the fourth round of rookie drafts, I'll take a stab on Cornell Powell attached to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. That that's worthy of a stab down there. And then Jacob Harris, I have listed him. I have him ranked in the tight end group and the wide receiver group. Selfishly, I want I want them to confirm him to a tight end. I think if he's a wide receiver, I just don't see any value there. Right? I already talked about they have three guys, and then Tutu Atwell makes four. So if he's a wide receiver, he's got no value. And then of the other guys, I'm a little intrigued by Jalen Darden. Maybe down the line it could be Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and then Darden. But you know, who, that's not. That's not a ringing endorsement in terms of the depth chart, but I love the, the skill set that Jalen Darnold possesses. And then I'm intrigued by Amir Smith-Marset because Adam Thielen's getting older. If he moves on, does Amir Smith-Marset get an opportunity to maybe be their slot-wide receiver? Justin Jefferson has proved that he can play outside and be great and dominate. So I think Amir Smith-Marset is a guy that could be an interesting slot receiver and you could use him in a variety of ways. So I'm a little bit intrigued by him as a late-round stash. And then after that, I mean, Frank Darby in Atlanta, you know, Fiocco in Dallas, Marcus Stevenson in Buffalo. They're just flyers, late guys. You draft, put them on your roster, and that's it. In terms of tight ends, I have Kyle Pitts at one, Pat Fryer moved two, Tommy Tremble at three, Trey McKitty at four, Brevin Jordan five, Hunter Long six. I told you I listed Jacob Harris twice. Jacob Harris at seven, Kylan Granson at eight, Zach Davidson nine, Noah Gray 10, John Bates 11, Luke Farrell 12. Kyle Pitts. His own stratosphere. I'll talk about my overall big board in a second. Not nothing else to say about Kyle Pitts, the biggest difference maker that could be entering the fantasy football world. If you knew you could have Travis Kelsey through all his great years, he would have been the first pick whenever he came out as a rookie. Pat Fryermoot, I think he could be a mid to low end tight end one. That's where I think he could be. Think Hunter Henry. Think where Jared Cook has had years. I compare him to Hunter Henry. But think about where those guys have had fancy viability. I think Fryermuth could be that down in the long run. Tommy Tremble's a wild card. Kyle Pitt should go early in round one of any rookie draft. Pat Fryermut should go somewhere in the mid second round. Mid to late second round. Tommy Tremble should go in the third round, mid to late third round because he's intriguing, got a lot of athleticism and upside, might be a way better pass catcher in the NFL level than he was in college. Trey McKitty has an open depth chart there, so that's an interesting one for the Chargers. Brevin Jordan went late to Houston, later than we expected, and there's been a lot of guys drafted to the Houston tight end group. I like Brevin Jordan a lot. I think he's got a lot of Irv Smith to his game, so I probably have him a little bit higher than you might see him other places. I still believe in him as a talent, but I'm not naive enough to to put him up any higher. Before the draft, he was number three for me. Trimble and McKitty, have to be higher than him. Hunter Long, I don't think has to be. Because Hunter Long's while well, he's going to play a lot, Mike Gusecki is there. I don't think they're going to feed Mike Gusecki and Hunter Long. So I just don't see much fancy viability right now. If they move on from Mike Gusecki in the long run, sure, maybe then Hunter Long can be a little bit more viable. I'll take a chance on Brevin Jordan right now if I'm stashing him as a more natural pass catcher and hope that he can find his way to the top of the depth chart, the tight end group there, you know, over Jordan Akins, over Cahill Waring, and other guys that they have on that team. After that, it stashes. Jacob Harris, if he ever gets tight end designation, Kylan Granson could be a nice move, tight end weapon for the Colts. Zach Davidson could be the backup tight end in Minnesota. Noah Gray, backup tight end in Kansas City, no real value. Overall big board. Let me just take you through my top 15. One quarterback. Right now I have Jamar Chase, one. Kyle, I mean, sorry, I have Kyle Pitts, one, Jamar Chase, two. You want to have Jamar Chase one and Kyle Pitts two, i I'm fine with it. They are really interchangeable. But to me, those are the clear top two guys in one quarterback leagues. If you're drafting one of the running backs, I think you're drafting it based on value. I think you're drafting it based on need and not based on big picture. So there might be instances where you got to draft one in the running backs just based on your roster. I'm in a situation that my team really needs the running back and I have the second pick in the draft from another trade, I'm torn. Do I take Kyle Pitts? Do I take Jamar Chase? Or do I take the running back? I'm not sure. I think it's a tough question. I personally, in a vacuum, prefer Pitts and Chase. They're their own separate tier for me. Then it's the running backs, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Then I have Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith. Then I have Javante, Javante Williams. And then I have the quarterbacks. Even in one quarterback leagues, I think Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields should all go in round one. And if they don't, I think people are doing it wrong. Don't take Trey Sermon or Michael Carter ahead of those quarterbacks. Those quarterbacks have the potential to be top five to top eight fantasy quarterbacks. High-end QB ones are in the range of their outcomes. Do not take a third or fourth round running back Ahead of those guys, I think it's a major mistake, even in one quarterback leagues. For me, then I have that group of Kadarius, Tony, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman at 11, 12, 13. Then I have Sermon and Carter at 14, 15, and then Terrace Marshall at at 16 right now. That's kind of what my top 16 looks like. And then I go into more wide receivers and stuff like that. If it was a super flex, a true super flex, 12 teams. The teams really does matter because I'm in one with basically it's super flex. It's two quarterback, but same concept. With 10 teams, it changes the entire narrative. 10 teams salary cap changes the entire narrative. A traditional two quarterback or super flex league. I think Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields should be the first three picks. Then Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase. So if I was going to do super flex rankings, I'm just moving the big three of Lawrence, Lance, and Fields to the top, sliding everybody else down, moving Zach Wilson up probably in that range of before, in that Kadarius, Tony, Elijah Moore area. That's where I would move Zach Wilson up. And then I would move up Mac Jones probably to where I have those secondary group of wide receivers like Josh Palmer, Rondo Moore, Dwayne Eskridge. That's where I'd probably have Mac Jones in. So that's kind of what it would look like if I had Superflex rankings. Draft capital matters, guys. Don't let your pre-draft takes and bias lead you into poor rankings and poor decision-makings. And these rankings are very, very fluid, guys. I'll probably change them just thinking about it more, reading up on them more. I love listening and reading to the the post, like the press conferences after the fact, you know, like when not like from draft weekend, but sometimes after the fact, like when rookie minicamps or something, having teams kind of shed a little bit more light in terms of potential usage, fits, stuff like that. So that will help move things around a little bit. But my early takes right now, people are overvaluing guys that they really liked in the, in, throughout college, like Tylen Wallace. People are overvaluing Trey Sermon and Michael Carter because of landing spot. People are undervaluing someone like Kadarius Toney because of college analytics without context and Jason Garrett being the offensive coordinator. I think that's a mistake. I think Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts should be the top two picks in most non-superflex or two-quarterback leagues. Those are my initial takes that are out there. I think Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith is a coin flip. I think the top three quarterbacks could be ranked in any way and I can get behind it. I think the second tier of wide receivers, Tony, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, I don't have a big problem based on anybody ranking them in a different order. I think it would be a mistake to rank anybody else except maybe Terrace Marshall in that mix. I think the Amari Rodgers, Rondell Moore, Josh Palmer, Dwayne Eskridge, I think if you have those guys ahead of the first-round wide receivers, I think you're overthinking it. I think you're overthinking it. If you have Dwayne Eskridge or Rondell Moore or Josh Palmer ahead of Kadarius Toney, Elijah Moore, or Rashad Bateman, I think you're overthinking it. And you're over You're not valuing the draft capital that the team's put in them enough. And you're maybe too worried about one thing, like in, in Tony's case, the offensive coordinator. That could easily be changed. Stone Shepard probably moved on in a year. If you think the, the the wide receiver depth chart is too crowded for the Giants, you could easily see a year from now, Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony, the clear top two wide receivers. Evan Ingram could be gone at the tight end position. Stone Shepard could be gone at the wide receiver position, and the offense. And who knows about Saquon Barkley getting his second contract? So let's not look at the Giants and say there's a lot of guys. There might be a decent crowd there this year. But Ingram's probably gone after the year. Shepard, they can get out of his contract. No money after this year. He's got a concussion history. Slayton's a nice guy. We're still, you know, unknown whether or not he'll be back for a second contract. Saquon decision is looming. Not as crowded there long term as you might think, to be honest with you. So we'll see. All right, guys. Hopefully, you enjoyed this. Again, that's way to support us. Get over to the website ssfootball.com. Check out the premium notebook tab. Not too late, guys. Still got a lot of value if you buy those notebooks. We did we had a strong finish to the draft season and during the weekend of the draft, even a little bit post-draft still below where we've usually been in the past. Uh, if you could help us out, if you're a longtime listener, never checked out the notebooks, please consider purchasing it. If you purchased it in the past and haven't done so this year, if you can, that'd be great. It really does help us continue to do what we're doing each and every single week. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.